the Lord's Supper. And that is the topic of our passage today. So I invite you to turn to our passage today, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to be studying verses 17 through 34, but for our reading, we'll read verses 17 through 22 and 27 through 34. If you don't have a Bible with you today, it will be projected on the screen behind me and also on the monitors in front of you. So we read, starting in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. The Lord's Supper. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. And then in verse 27, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let each person examine himself then and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. We continue to worship now in song. I remember as a child feeling like that mom and dad were sometimes a little excessive in their discipline. It seemed like that sometimes that maybe when I got spanked, I didn't really deserve it. There were four boys that were within six years apart. My twin brother Roger and I were two years younger than Steve. Steve was two years younger than James. And you know, boys, when they were together in a room without mom and dad, things would happen. I was never a part of it. But things happened. And dad and mom would not know who did what. And so their answer was to line us up and discipline us. Thank us. I think that we all felt like that we got the bad end of the stick, so to speak. Again, I was sure that I didn't deserve some of the spankings I got. And my brother, Roger and Steve, I think their discipline could have been much more severe at times. And Kathy, our youngest sister, she was a little angel. She never did anything wrong. Well, at times it seems like that excessive punishment, again, it seems like 
that excessive punishment is given to some and not to others. Throughout Scripture, we see seemingly insignificant acts. There are times dealt with in a very severe way. Adam and Eve, if you remember, were given a death sentence, so to speak, because they ate of forbidden fruit. A man was stoned to death for picking up a few sticks of firewood on a Sabbath. Or Achan and his whole family were executed because Achan kept a portion of the spoils of war. Uzzah was struck dead by God for touching the ark when it was falling and he was going to try to keep it from falling. Because of David's sin in numbering the Israelites, 70,000 Israelites die. Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead by the Lord for falsely reporting their income and giving. We know from the first ten chapters of First Corinthians, there are many serious problems with the Corinthian church. We're told in verse 30 of chapter 11 today that discipline for the Corinthians comes in the form of weakness, sickness, and death for many of the Corinthian believers. What was this sin? So serious, it brought severe discipline upon a good number of Corinthian believers. Was it the shocking incest that we read about and studied in chapter 5? Or was it the lawsuits and sexual immorality in chapter 6? Was it divorce in chapter 7? Or was it involvement with idolatry in chapters 8 through 10? Or was it the refusal of some of the ladies to wear head covering that was mentioned last week in chapter 11? No. It was none of these. It was none of these. It wasn't until the end of chapter 11 that we see a sin so serious that results in God's severe discipline. We see in this situation that God is dead serious about the body of Christ. Their problem was a failure to be God's people when they gathered together as a church. And I'll unfold this as we go through this passage. Our passage again today is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. We see in this three different sections. First, Paul rebukes the Corinthians for the way they participate in the Lord's Supper. And secondly, he reminds them of the significance of the Lord's Supper. And in the final section, he gives them a resolution to their problems. First, we see the rebuke in verses 17 through 22. Read with me, please. Chapter 11, verses here, 17 through 22. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. In the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. I hear it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those 
who are genuine among you may be recognized. And when you come together, it's not for the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead of his own meal, with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Well, last week, if you remember, Paul had commended the Corinthians in carrying on some of the traditions in worship. But here Paul says, when it comes to the Lord's Supper, he says, I will not commend you when you come together, because it's not for the better, but for the worse. Some would believe that this discipline came about because believers didn't properly examine themselves, searching out and confessing their sins before taking part in the Lord's Supper. And that's a good thing to do, but that's not what the passage says resulted in discipline. And many believe that the reason that they were disciplined is because many were drunk and their disorderly conduct. But again, that's not what the passage says. A major problem with the Corinthians and their celebration of the Lord's Supper was their divisions. As I read earlier in verse 18, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions that exist among you. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Each one of you goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, and another gets drunk. The issue that resulted in God's discipline was that the wealthy believers refused to wait for those who were poor before eating the Lord's Supper. Because the wealthy were not willing to wait and to share, there was blatant inequality in the body as they proclaimed the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord's Supper in itself commemorates that all believers are equal in him. The wealthy were guilty of gluttony and drunkenness, drunkenness while the poor went without but if you were studying the culture within Corinthians, in, in Corinth, rather, you would see that this was a customary practice in the Greco-Roman world. Wealthy hosts with big homes would invite large crowds in. And the more wealthy you were, the biggest, bigger portions and the best portions were given to the privileged. Those of you who fly, it kind of reminds me of whenever I blindness, always coach or economy, I, I pass by these nice leather seats that are very roomy. I see that they have their own TV and they have their hot towels and they have these gourmet meals and drinks and all these various things and I just kind of pass by and go on and sit down in that area where sometimes my knees are against the seat in front of me. That's one thing to be flying. It's a different thing, though, for the body of Christ to have that kind of difference. That disparity should not be taking place between the wealthy 
and the poor in the church. And Paul doesn't tolerate it. One minute, he uses strong language. Do you despise the church of God? Do you despise the church of God? And humiliate, embarrass those who have nothing? Paul was grieved over the Corinthians' behavior. A meal designed to express unity was being so abused that it highlighted the disunity in the body. That cliquish behavior of the Corinthians reflected a significant socioeconomic difference. The poor were humiliated, embarrassed, going hungry, while the wealthy had plenty to eat and enjoyed it without sharing. What should have been an inclusive meal had become the occasion for a private meal by the wealthy. It was an offense to Christ and to the gospel. In our new Good News Bible Church vision statement, we make it clear up front that we want to be a church that is diverse. We say that we seek to be a diverse family of believers, reconciled by God. And we go on. I, I wish that, that divisions and partiality were only problems of first century Corinth. But the reality is, is we know that they exist in the 21st century. Do we prefer certain people over others? Do we gravitate toward those who have money or who are successful according to the world's standards? Do we want to socialize with those who are like us? Do we struggle to reach out to those who are different than we are? We should never, ever allow any kind of prejudice, whether social or racial or generational or cultural, to control our attitudes toward those who are in the body of Christ, or as we reach out to the community around us. Why was the Corinthian church with so many problems not severely disciplined by God for incest, for immorality or idolatry, as much so as for failing to wait for someone to arrive so that the supper table could be served. Why? Why would God be so severe in disciplining many with sickness and even with death because of their table matters? What's the problem? Well, I think it lies in the meaning of the Lord's Supper. Many have forgotten its meaning, I think, in Corinth. And maybe today, many of us as believers maybe have not grasped the meaning or maybe we have forgotten. We've forgotten what the Lord's Supper is. I want to remind you as we think about Corinth and the culture there, back then the Lord's Supper was a supper. It was a meal. If you remember when Christ broke the bread and gave wine to the disciples before his death, it was in the midst of a meal. And the Lord's Supper was celebrated always by the entire church body. If you look back in Acts, over and over it talked about the body coming together and sharing in the Lord's Supper. Paul's concern wasn't that they weren't gathered together as a church, but, they, but what they did 
when they gathered together. Their failure was to be the people of God when they gathered. And that's why Paul said that when they gathered, they were not really celebrating the Lord's Supper. Well, why was it important that all be gathered for the sharing of the Lord's Supper together? Well, after rebuking the Corinthians, Paul reminds them of the significance. He tells them why it's important. In verses 23 through 26, For I received from the Lord what I was delivered, what I was delivered uh, to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup, and after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the death, the Lord's death, until he comes. Well, twice here, Paul urges the Corinthians to remember the death of Jesus Christ. By partaking of the bread and the cup, remember that Christ bore the penalty for our sins. He went through hell, so to speak, so that we might be in heaven. Jesus tells us continually to observe the supper until he returns. It's his body on our behalf. The Lord's Supper is God's way of getting us to keep Christ's death and resurrection before us, individually and in the life of the church. The Lord's Supper is filled with so many great symbolic uh, things. The first two great symbols, of course, are the elements. The one loaf of bread, which is broken into pieces and shared by all, and the wine, which is poured into a common cup and drunk by all. The one loaf of bread represents Christ's physical body. First Peter two twenty four says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. The loaf also represents Christ's spiritual body, the body of Christ. Communion is not a private celebration, but one observed with the entire church. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses, verse 17 tells us that when there, since there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we partake of one bread. When we receive a piece of bread from the one loaf, we not only symbolize our union with Christ in his atoning work, but our union with the body of Christ. So important that we remember that. And when we profess not only our unity, but also our equality. Ephesians 2 powerfully reminds us that we were separated from God as Gentiles. Remember, you were separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, having no hope and without God in the world. But in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, 
have been brought near by the blood. Think about it, if you will, the differences between the Gentiles and the Jews and how the Jews look down on the Gentile. And yet in Christ, the two became one. The Lord's Supper shows that unity that we have. As I began looking at this passage, I, I tried to think of ways that we could could show um, the one loaf. I, I thought about bringing a loaf of bread, but a regular loaf of bread is leavened, and, and it's not unleavened. And I thought about breaking that one loaf, and then in turn having it passed. But then it's the whole thing of people touching the bread, and uh, there's a lot of sickness going around. We have to recognize that that as we symbolize the Lord's Supper, we miss out in so many ways. The ancient church, they gathered together for a meal and they sat across from each other. They looked each other in the face. And when we partake of our Lord's Supper, we take it looking at the back of the heads in front of us. We miss out on that intimacy. We miss out on that unity that is so important. We use the matzah, which is unleavened bread. Several pieces of this matzah have been placed in a cloth and crushed and put on plates, several plates that are dispersed. Instead of having the one cup, we receive a little cup from a tray that's got several cups in it. And so we miss out on that one loaf and one cup. But it's important that we remember, yes, the Lord's Supper is important because it represents our unity with Christ, but it's also that unity with the body of Christ. So very, very important. Well, the Lord's Supper is a reminder of the sacrificial gift of our Lord Jesus Christ. His body and blood in the Corinthians perverted it into a situation of self-indulgence. Christ has set aside his own personal interest and sacrificed his body so that we could be saved. And yet, when the Corinthians ends, there was no sacrifice, only self-indulgence. Paul closes this section by stating in verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is a reminder again that Christ is coming back. And as we live, as long as we live, we should be celebrating, acknowledging, symbolizing his death, burial, and resurrection until he comes. Well, after reminding the Corinthians of the significance of the Lord's Supper, Paul then gives the congregation a resolution to their problems um, in the form of a warning. Judge yourself or be judged by God. Let's look at verses 27 through 32, if we will. Verse 27 through 32. 
Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are sick or weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. When we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Well, since the Lord's Supper is a proclamation of Jesus Christ's death for us, eating and drinking in an unworthy manner is unacceptable. And the word unworthy there in verse 27 is not an, an, uh, an adjective describing the condition of the person taking the communion, but an adverb describing the manner in which they take communion, the manner in which they participate. The sins of the Corinthians, which resulted in discipline, was related to the manner in which they took the Lord's Supper. The Corinthians here aren't commanded to examine themselves to see whether or not they're Christians, although we should, but that's not what the passage is saying. It's not even saying that if they they're to examine themselves and see if there's sin in their lives, for they sh- we should, but that's not the issue that brought the discipline. I think probably there's a double meaning in verse 29, where it said in reference to the body of Christ, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. The body here is referring to Christ's physical body as well as to the church, the body of Christ spiritually. Paul speaks of the body of Christ broken on the cross. There's a different order of being. I mentioned a while ago that Christ brought together the Gentile and the Jew, people who were separated. He brought them together into one people. And the bread taken in communion is not to be used simply to provide a meal um, for hunger or to provide meal for a party. What these participants in Corinth did not recognize or did not discern is what it means to share in the death of Jesus Christ. They failed to see what gives a Christian his, his or her identity. They did not recognize that the bread is a proclamation of the death of Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. He says, it's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Well, God in his perfect love, his wisdom, his understanding of who we are, is able to get our attention. And we, of course, can either choose to listen and obey, or we can choose to disobey. And Paul says in verses 31 and 32, he says, but if we judge ourselves, well, we would not be judged. When we're judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned 
along with the world. I think two key principles here that we need to remember regarding discipline. First is, Paul says that the Corinthians will be judged if, if they do not judge themselves first. The logic is, judge yourself, so God will not have to. Our goal must be to judge our sin in our own lives before God exposes it. We must humble ourselves before the Lord, before we are humbled by him. And secondly, a reminder that God's goal in discipline is corrective. God's goal is corrective. It's a big difference between punishment and discipline. As a child receiving those spankings from my mom and dad, I thought they were punishment. I know my mom and dad, and I know that their desire was to discipline me that I might grow up to be a man that would be worthy of living and serving life. They weren't believers, but they wanted this to grow up well. But discipline, again, is corrective. Punishment is just simply to extract pain. But God disciplines because he loves us. He desires the best. As I think of discipline, I think of the three different levels. There's that internal chastening, and that's when God deals with our hearts, and nobody knows except for us. Your wife or your husband doesn't know. Your mom and dad don't know. Your children don't know. But you know, because God chastens us individually. And then secondly, that external chastening is when our consequences for our sin become obvious to others. As God's discipline goes public. And then, of course, third is that terminal chastening when God calls a believer home prematurely. And entirely, the Corinthians were going through all three of these phases. Well, finally, Paul again, as he looks at this, the resolution, the solution for the Corinthians in verses 33 and 34, he says, When you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. The proper course of action for the Corinthians then was they should honor and respect the fellow believers. The Corinthians needed to remember that their celebration of the Lord's Supper was not really the Lord's Supper at all. They're going through the motions. They're going through the motions. The Lord's Supper is a remembrance of Christ's sacrificial life, his death, his burial, and resurrection. It means nothing apart from the gospel. And it's by re-examining the gospel message through its symbols that we come to appreciate the significance of the Lord's Supper. Another thing is just as they need to be aware of the corporate aspects of the Lord's Supper, we too need to remember it's not just something individual. Our culture is so individual. And yet it's very clear that we're to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Yes, it's very important that we partake individually 
but also corporately. Finally, the wealthy Corinthians needed to value those whose socioeconomic status was lower than theirs. They needed to wait for them and welcome them. And we, too, in the same way, need to be aware of the value of every person. Well, let's pray. Our Father in heaven,